Section twenty of Life's Morning. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shi Pingning. A Life's Morning by George Gissing. Section twenty, Chapter fourteen, Part two. The lady with whom Wilfred found himself talking was tall and finely made not very graceful in her bearing and with a large face the singular kindness of which speedily overcame the first sense of dissatisfaction at its plainness she wore a little cap of lace and from her matronly costume breathed a pleasant freshness akin to the activity of a flame having taken the young man's hand at greeting she held it in both her own and with large grey eyes examined his face shrewdly yet neither the action nor the gaze was embarrassing to wilfred he felt on the contrary something wonderfully soothing in the pressure of the warm firm hands and in her look an invitation to the repose of confidence which was new in his experience of women an experience not extensive by and by though his characteristic generalizations seemed to claim the opposite he submitted from the first moment to an inference maternal in its spirit an inference which his life had lacked and which can perhaps only be fully appreciated either in mature reflection upon a past made sacred by death or on a meeting such as this when the heart is open to the helpfulness of disinterested sympathy mrs baxendale's countenance was grave enough to suit the sad thoughts with which she sought to commune yet showed an under smile suggesting the consolation held in store by one much at home in the world's sorrows as she smiled each of her cheeks dimpled softly and wilfred could not help noticing the marvellous purity of her complexion as well as the excellent white teeth just visible between her lips so you have come all the way from switzerland she said leading him to a chair and seating herself by him her voice had a touch of masculine quality even as her shape and features but it chained attention and impressed as the utterance of a large and strong nature you are tired too with travel i can see that when did you reach dunfield half an hour ago and you came here at once beatrice and i were on the point of going to heapsworth this afternoon i rejoice that we did not i'm continually afraid lest she should find the house dull my husband and myself are alone my eldest girl was married three months ago my younger one is just gone to germany and my son is spending half a year in the united states the mother finds herself a little forsaken it was really more than kind of beatrice to come and bury herself with me for a week or two she passed by tactful transition to the matter in hand wasn't it a strange link that she should meet miss hood at your house she has been so saddened i never yet knew any one who could talk with emily without feeling deep interest in her my daughter louisa i'm convinced will never forget what she owes to her teacher 
she and my youngest child used to be miss hood's pupils perhaps you have heard my own emily she is dead was passionately fond of her namesake she talked of her among the last words she ever spoke poor little mite miss redwing tells me you saw her yesterday wilfred said yes for the first time was she conscious quite but i was afraid to talk to her more than a minute or two even that excited her too much i fear you must not let her know yet of your presence i am glad i knew nothing of this till the worst was over from the way in which she spoke of her father i should have feared horrible things did you know him with any intimacy only slightly i am sorry to say the poor man seems to have had a very hard life it is clear to me that sheer difficulty in making ends meet drove him out of his senses are you a student of political economy she asked suddenly looking into wilfred's face with a peculiar smile i am not why do you ask it is the one subject on which my husband and i hold no truce mr baxendale makes it one of his pet studies whilst i should like to make a bonfire of every volume containing such cruel nonsense you must know mr athel that i have an evil reputation in dunfield my views are held dangerous they call me a socialist mr baxendale when particularly angry offers to hire the hall in the corn exchange that i may say my say and henceforth spare him at home now think of this poor man he had a clerkship in the mill and received a salary of disgraceful smallness he never knew what it was to be freed of anxiety the laws of political economy will have it so says my husband if mr hood refused there were fifty other men ready to take the place he couldn't have lived at all it seems but that he owned a house in another town which brought him a few pounds a year i can't talk of such things with patience here's my husband offering himself as a liberal candidate for dunfield at the election coming on i say to him what are you going to do if you get into parliament are you going to talk political economy and make believe that everything is right when it's as wrong as can be if so i say you'd better save your money for other purposes and stay where you are he tells me my views are impracticable then i say so much the worse for the world and so much the more shame for every rich man who finds excuses for such a state of things it is dreadful to think of what those poor people must have gone through they were so perfectly quiet under it that no one gave a thought to their position when emily used to come here day after day i've often suspected she didn't have enough to eat yet it was impossible for me to ask questions it would have been called prying into things that didn't concern me she has told me for how much kindness she is indebted to you wilfred said with gratitude pooh what could i do oh don't we live absurdly artificial lives now why should a family who through no fault of their own are in the most wretched straits 
shut themselves up and hide it like a disgrace don't you think we hold a great many very nonsensical ideas about self-respect and independence and so on if i were in want i know two or three people to whom i should forthwith go and ask for succour if they thought the worse of me for it i should tell them they ought to be ashamed of themselves we act indeed as if we ourselves had made the world and were bound to pretend it an admirable piece of work without a screw loose anywhere i always say the world's about as bad a place as one could well imagine at all events for most people who live in it and that it's our plain duty to help each other without grimacings the death of this poor man has distressed me more than i can tell you it does seem such a monstrously cruel thing there's his employer a man called dagworthy who never knew what it was to be without luxuries i'm not in the habit of listening to scandal but i believe there's a great deal of truth in certain stories told about his selfishness and want of feeling i consider mr dagworthy this poor man's murderer it was his bounden duty to see that a man in his employment was paid enough to live upon and mr hood was not imagine what suffering must have brought about such an end as this a sad case say people i call it a case of crime that enjoys impunity wilfred listened gloomily the broad question stirred him to no strong feeling but the more he heard the more passionate was his longing to bear emily away from the scenes of such a past with what devotion would he mould his life to the one task of healing her memory yet he knew it must be very long before her heart could recover from the all but deadly wound it had received a feeling which one may not call jealousy that were too inhuman but still one of the million forms which jealousy assumes to torture us drove him to ask himself what the effect of such a crisis in her life might be on emily's love for him there would always remain in her inmost soul one profound sadness in which he had no part and which by its existence would impugn the supremacy of that bond which united him and her how does mrs hood bear it he asked when he found mrs baxendale again examining his face i think emily's illness has been her great help poor creatures that we are needing one great grief to balance another but she seems in a very weak state i didn't like her look yesterday will you describe her to me asked wilfred she is not the kind of mother you would give to emily i am afraid her miserable life has told upon her greatly both in mind and body emily never spoke of her though so often of her father that is what i should have expected still you must not think her quite unworthy she speaks as an educated woman and is certainly very devoted what of her present position she must be in extreme difficulties no she wants nothing for the present friends have been very anxious to help her that's what i say 
only let your misery drive you out of the world and people will find out all at once how very easily they might have saved you a hundredth part of the interest that has been shown in the family since poor mr hood's death would have found endless ways of making his life very different all sorts of people have suddenly discovered that he really was a very deserving man and that something ought long since to have been done for him i don't know what has been told you of his history he was once in independent business i don't know exactly what it was only utter failure that drove him to the miserable clerkship how admirable it was of a man in such circumstances to have his daughter so well educated wilfred smiled emily he said with gentle fervour would have found her own way ah don't depreciate his care mrs baxendale urged you'll find out by degrees what a great deal of heathen doubt there is in me among other things i am impressed by the power of circumstances emily would always have been a remarkable girl no doubt but without her education you and i should not have been talking about her like this even if we had known her we can't dispense with these aids that's where i feel the cruelty of depriving people of chances men and women go to their graves in wretchedness who might have done noble things with an extra pound a week to live upon it does not sound lofty doctrine does it but i have vast faith in the extra pound a week emily had the advantage of it however it was managed i don't like to think of her as she might have been without it what was it beatrice called me yesterday a materialist yes a materialist it was a reproach though she said it in the kindest way i took it as a compliment we can't get out of the world of material how long will the mind support itself on an insufficient supply of dry bread wilfred's intellectual sympathies were being aroused by his new friend's original way of talking he began to feel a keen satisfaction at having her near him in these troubles do you think he asked returning to his immediate needs that i might write to her not yet you mustn't think of it yet does mrs hood he hesitated do you think emily has told her mother has spoken to her of me mrs baxendale looked surprised i can't say i took it for granted i wonder why she was reluctant to do so wilfred said already speaking with complete freedom her father cannot have known it would have relieved his worst anxieties he would surely never have been driven to such things no i think not the poor girl will feel that i fear i suppose one can get a glimpse of her reasons for keeping silence she gave wilfred a friendly glance as she spoke how glad i am he exclaimed to be able to talk to you i should have been in the utmost difficulties think of my position if i had been without a friend in the town then indeed but for miss redwing i should have heard nothing even yet she wrote to you not to me she mentioned the matter in a letter to my aunt mrs rossall did beatrice you let me question did she know 
only she says in consequence of a letter my father addressed to mr baxendale the lady smiled again i ask because beatrice is now and then a little mysterious to me i spoke to her of that letter in the full belief that she must have knowledge of the circumstances she denied it yet i thought as if it were a matter of conscience to do so i think it more than likely that my aunt had written to her on the subject and yet no she would not have denied it to you that would be unlike her yes i think it would mrs baxendale mused before she spoke again a servant entered the room with tea you will be glad of a cup i am sure said the lady and now what do you propose to do shall you return to london oh no i shall stay in dunfield till i am able to see her very well in that case you will not refuse my hospitality the longer you stay the better pleased i shall be she would hear of no difficulties i wouldn't ask you she said if i were not able to promise you any degree of privacy you like a sitting-room is at your disposal begging to be occupied since my boy charlie went away my husband is over head and ears in electioneering business foolish man and i can tell you how i feel the need of someone to talk to on other subjects than the manufacture of votes where is your luggage wilfred named the hotel it shall be fetched and now i'll ask my niece to come and pour out tea for us with the entrance of beatrice the conversation naturally took a different turn she heard with becoming interest of wilfred's establishment as a guest and after a little talk of mrs rossall and the twins led to the subject of certain revivalist meetings then being held in dunfield an occasion of welcome excitement to such of the inhabitants as could not absorb themselves in politics mrs baxendale seemed to regard the religious movement dispassionately and related a story she had from her husband of a certain prominent townsman driven to such a pass by his wife's perpetual absence from home on revivalist expeditions that he at length fairly turned the key on her in her bedroom and through the keyhole bade her stay there till she had remembered her domestic duties he was that night publicly prayed for at a great meeting in a corn exchange as one who not content with losing his own soul did his best to hold back others from the way of grace beatrice affected to pay no heed to this anecdote what is your side in politics she asked wilfred here we are all either blues or yellows what do they represent wilfred inquired oh you shouldn't ask that said mrs baxendale yellow is yellow and blue blue nothing else in the world i think it an excellent idea to use colors liberal and conservative suggest ideas names therefore quite out of place in dunfield politics or any other politics i dare say if the truth were known my husband is a yellow it pleases him to call himself a liberal or else a radical he may have been a few months ago now he is a mere yellow 
i tell him he is in serious danger of depriving himself of two joys in another month a cloudless sky and the open sea will be detestable to him but what are you mr athel beatrice asked a liberal or a conservative i should really find it hard to guess in a yellow house he replied i am certainly yellow beatrice is far from being so complacent said mrs baxendale she detests our advanced views rather i know nothing of them the girl replied the quiet air with which she expressed her indifference evinced a measure of spiritual pride rather in excess of that she was wont to show indeed her manner throughout the conversation was a little distant to both her companions if she jested with wilfred it was with the idleness of one condescending to subjects below the plane of her interests to her aunt she was rather courteous than affectionate whilst they still sat over tea mr baxendale came in like his wife he was of liberal proportions and he had a face full of practical sagacity if anything he looked too wide awake a fault of shrewd man constitutionally active whose imagination plays little part in their lives he wore an open frock coat with much expanse of shirt front the fore part of his head was bald and the hair on each side was brushed forward over his ears in a manner which gave him a singular appearance his bearing was lacking in self-possession each of his remarks was followed by a short laugh deprecatory apologetic it seemed impossible to him to remain in a state of bodily repose even with a cup of tea in his hand he paced the room constantly he consulted his watch not that he had any special concern with the hour but from a mere habit of nervousness he welcomed the visitor with warmth at the same time obviously suppressing a smile of other than merely polite significance then he began at once to speak of electioneering matters and did so pacing the carpet for the next half hour wilfred listened with such show of interest as he could command his thoughts were elsewhere and weariness was beginning to oppress him shortly after dinner fatigue passed the point at which it could be struggled against long waking the harassment of fears at length consoled and the exhaustion consequent upon his journey besieged him with invincible drowsiness mrs baxendale observing it begged him to discard ceremony and go to rest gladly he suffered himself to be led to his room once there he could not note the objects about him the very effort of taking off his clothes was almost beyond his strength sleep was binding his brows with oblivion and relaxing every joint his dearest concerns were nothing to him with a wave of the hand he would have resigned an eternity of love cried to him blood-chilling horrors and his eyelids would make no sign the feather's softness moulded itself to his limbs the pillows pressed a yielding coolness to his cheek his senses failed amid faint fresh odours 
blessed state how enviable above all waking joys the impotence which makes us lords of darkness the silence which suffers not to reach our ears so much as an echo of the farce of life end of section twenty chapter fourteen part two recording by shi ping ling